Just a little bit of admin up top, a little bit of housekeeping, um, just to keep the listeners aware in the loop. Um, I just want to let everyone know that we're going to be changing the name of the show. Uh, we're not going to be Brad is a Bad Person anymore. We're going to be Three Guys, One Cup. Um, and also no longer a podcast. It's going to be a, a video series. So keep your eyes peeled for that. <laughs> Hello and welcome to your favorite podcast, The Three Guys, One Cup. My name is Morgan. <laughs> I wear glasses. I'm joined, as always, by Lachlan. Hello. Who also wears glasses. And Brad. Hello. Who has perfect vision. Today, we're talking about everybody's worst nightmare. That's right. Plane crashes. (laughs) Guys, what is your second biggest fear after plane crashes? Sharks. Ah, the vacuum of space. (laughs) Space crashes. (laughs) Plane crashes, number one. Out of space crashes number two. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're going to be talking uh, three tales of plane crashes. And I don't know about you guys, but this is something that terrifies me. And every time uh-huh. I'm in a plane, I just can't stop thinking about it. I know statistically it's Safest much to less likely that you're going to. Yeah, it's much less likely that you're going to die in a uh, airplane than almost any other form of transport because they're so safe. But I don't know, something about being all the way up there and just knowing well, that if... A wing falls off. You're fucked. There's just think, nothing. Yeah, I think that's now. what it is. If if you're in a car accident, there's a good chance you live. Like more people in car accidents are injured or walk away okay than die. Whereas if you're in a plane accident, it falls out of the sky. You're fucking dead. People don't walk away from um, planes crashing. Well, unless you're that bitch who fell into the jungle. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. I actually, I've been thinking in researching for this episode, we have talked about a lot of plants crashing (laughs) on this podcast. That's a fucking good topic. It's an interesting topic. Yeah. Which is why we decided to do a whole episode on it. Yeah, we get into the meat of it now. First of seven episodes on plane crashes. (laughs) (laughs) Dedicated episodes. I actually really like the show Air Crash Investigation. I don't Mm -hmm. watch it all that often, but if I'm flicking through the TV and I see it's on, I'm like... I'm not. That's that's it. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> oh, man. This is a super long... Good job. <laughs> that was way longer than I thought it was going to be. But, uh, yeah, that was that was the intro to Air Crash Investigation. Yeah, for anyone who didn't pick up on that, because you're as subtle as a fucking sledgehammer. <laughs> Morgan said Air Crash Investigation. I just got trigger happy. All right. All right. Went off prematurely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a it's a good show and it's interesting. And I think there is something, you know, mysterious about plane crashes, which is also quite alluring. And sometimes mm. it can be pinned on one person and then it's like, oh, shit, imagine how bad that guy feels. Mm. Like, that mm. sucks. Well, he's dead, so he doesn't feel it, but that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> um. All right, so before we get started today, I want to remind everybody to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, subscribe on SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you leave us a nice review on iTunes, we'll give you a shout out during the show to say thank you. If you want to get in contact with us and suggest an episode or just say hi, please do. We always love interacting with our fans. You can do that on any of our social media or through our website, bradisabadperson.com. If you really, really like us, you can buy a beer, buy us a beer through paypal.me slash Brad is a bad person. But the best thing you can do to support the show is to tell a friend to listen. 
Make Lachlan, a friend. Do you want to get us started today by cracking open a cold one with the boys? It's time to crack open a cold one with the boys. Okay, uh, we're still playing this game sent in by listener Nick, where every week I roll a dice for a new beer. Uh, now, last week, you'll recall, I couldn't get a hold of the beer that I was supposed to <laughs> get, which was uh, Desperado's tequila-flavoured beer. This week, I was meant to have a Red Stripe, which is a Jamaican lager, <laughs> uh, due to the current martial law that is being imposed <laughs> upon us in this country, I could not go and get uh, a red stripe because it's a half hour drive to the closest shop that sells it. And I don't want to get a $1,600 fine for non-essential travel. So, uh, Beer is so essential. <laughs> instead, we're recording this on Easter. I know it's not Easter when this releases, but we're recording on Easter. So I've got an Easter-themed cocktail. Um... Now, it's supposed to be Nutella, milk, Baileys, and vodka. I asked Ash, my lovely wife, to make it for me before I came in because I was getting our son to sleep. Um, We didn't have enough milk, so she used ice cream instead of (laughs) milk. Sounds good. So, uh, it's still in the cocktail shaker, and uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah, crack it open. Tell us what you think. Cocktail shaker. That's what alcoholics use. Oh, that's good. It sounds good stuff. Sounds pretty fucking good. Yeah. Well, all, all those ingredients are excellent on their own, mm. except vodka. But yeah, vodka I feel is something that just makes a cocktail have more alcohol, a higher alcohol. Yeah, it's content. just it's yeah. just there for the alcohol content. I think. Yeah, yeah, like when you make a white Russian, you just however drunk you want to get is how much vodka you put in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not there for the taste. Um, and now for next week, we're not going to roll a dice because. Somehow, I haven't doubled up on the six options over six weeks. I haven't doubled up. So, we're just going to, we're not going to break that streak. We're not going to roll the dice. We're just going to go with the last option on that list. Get this game fucking over and done with. Option number five, Brad's choice. My choice. Oh, really? Yeah. So, you you have a think about that uh, over the week, Brad, and you let me know. Mm, Frothy. Please, please be kind. (laughs) It immediately jumped in my mind in the middle of the the beer of choice of yeah. Brad is a bad person. <laughs> I don't know if of choice is the word. But <laughs> <laughs> the beer that has been thrust upon us. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay, so today we're going to start with uh, Bradley's air crash investigation. Mm. So let me start off with a bit of a riddle. How does a thin strip of metal from Houston, Texas, bring about the demise of a British and French airline on the other side of the world? Oh, no. Keep that in mind. So today, I'll be talking about one of the most infamous airliner crashes in history, that of Air France Flight 4590 and the eventual demise of Concorde. Oh, Concord. I was going to say, Air France is still very much alive today, so I don't know where you're going with that, but (laughs) Concord. Yep. Uh, For a bit of context for anyone who's unfamiliar with the Concord airliner, it was one of the most technologically advanced commercial airliners ever developed. It was developed in 1969 as a joint venture between the British Aircraft Corporation and Aerospatial, which I think I've butchered that pronunciation, uh, which is a French aircraft manufacturer. It was supposed to be the future of air travel. 
The Concorde was capable of a cruising speed of 2,158 kilometres an hour. Oh, baby. Whoa. Culminating in a flight time from London to to New York of approximately 3.5 hours. Jesus Christ. Whoa. What is that in uh, on a conventional airliner, Brad? Uh, So that's about uh, eight, eight and a half. Hours. Yeah. Wow. So less than half the time. Less than half the time. Oh, yeah. Wait. To put that in perspective, a Boeing 747 has a cruising speed of 907 kilometers an hour and an Airbus mm-hmm. A380, 903 kilometers an hour, which is relatively tame in comparison. Not even Mach 1. What a so it's just 40% bitches. blowing them out of the water. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Every inch of the Concorde. Blowing them out of the sky. <laughs> Every inch of the Concorde exterior was designed for speed. From its movable nose cone to its so. double delta-shaped wings. This fucking nose looked weird as, eh? Yeah, yeah, well, they were they were movable. They called it a drooping nose, but I didn't think that was... It didn't sound... It didn't flow as well as movable nose cone, so... Yeah, uh, but <laughs> it yeah, fucked up. Like, it was to help the, the pilots when they were landing. They couldn't actually see over the nose cone in the normal landing oh, position, so they had to actually drop it clever. in. Anyway, the, the Concorde's exterior may have exuded speed, but its interior was the height of luxury. It was designed for rich elites. The Concorde was capable of ferrying up to 120 passengers at a time. But living that Dan Balzerian life came at a cost. <laughs> With a flight from London to New York costing close to £9,000 uh, adjusted for inflation. Whoa. So, Jesus. Yeah. Which that, is about $20,000 Australian. Yes. So that, that price tag wasn't entirely unjustified. Apart from the shorter travel times, you're also paying for the maintenance and fuel of these bad boys, which was sky high. They used insane amounts of <laughs> sky, sky high. high. Nice. nice. Yeah, you like that? I threw that in there. Yep. Uh, Intentionally for sure. <laughs> Intentionally for sure. That being said, it was reported that the British Airways Concorde branch was able to operate at a profit of close to £51 million per year. Whoa. So nothing to mm-hmm. thumb your nose out there. Oh. Uh, Thumb your droop noser. Yeah, your droop noser. If, if everything was going so swimmingly, then why am I speaking to you about the former Flyingly. greatness of Concord? That is a good question. Yeah. Yeah, Brad. To put it simply, it's the fucking frog's fault. Um, <laughs> As usual. Yes. Of course. Trust the French to take aerial achievement and fuck it up and set the aviation world back 60 years. Damn it. Now, to be fair, it was definitely a freak accident, but who doesn't love ripping on cheese-eating surrender monkeys? It's one of my favourite <laughs> pastimes. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. Gotta take it. Yeah, gotta take it. Gotta take it. Uh, the demise of Concorde begins with an unrelated plane run by an unrelated airline in the year 2000. Continental Airlines, McDonnell Douglas, DC-1030, registration number N13067. On the 9th of July, in Houston, Texas, a mechanic by the name of John Taylor didn't know that he was about to change aviation history forever. That the seemingly innocuous task of replacing a strip of titanium alloy on the thrust reverser cow would lead to the deaths of 109 people. Sixteen days later, on the 25th of July, 2000, that very same DC-10 would depart Charles de Gaulle Airport, heading for Newark Airport. On departure, John Taylor's poorly installed titanium strip would detach, leaving itself on the runway. It only measured 435 millimetres in length, 34 millimetres in width, and 1.4 millimetres thick. That's not very big. No shit. That's not very big at all, Brad. What? 
That's not very big at all, Brad. No, that's no, that's like, that's like the it's size a, of an A3 sheet. That's nothing. Yeah, it is a a thin strip of metal, someone would call it. Like oh, I was about yeah. to. <laughs> I believe you called it that several that's times already. The thin strip of metal would take down one of the marvels of the Asian world. Five minutes after the departure, the departure of Continental Airlines DC-10, Air France Flight 4590 would roll onto the runway, headed for New York. The time is 2.40 p.m. Mm-hmm. In a twist of cruel fate, Flight 4590 is overloaded with fuel and weight. Not dangerously so, but it will play a part in their demise. Uh-oh. All jets have an allotted fuel for taxiing to and from the runway. Flight 4590 has been loaded with 2,000 litres. They've only used 800 of those 2,000 litres. Usually, a pilot would burn off the excess fuel before taking off, but pressed for time, the pilot decides to commence takeoff. Seems kind of wasteful to just burn it off. Well, I mean, it's not like they're wasting it. Oh, yeah, they are wasting it, but they usually don't overload it that high. Yeah. That's the issue. Mm-hmm. So it's usually off waste, by maybe wasteful on all parts. Litres, but yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll just burn 100 litres of fuel, no worries. Yeah, well, it burned 800 just taxiing onto the runway, so it's not a lot of fuel for a Concorde. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. yeah. At 2.42 and 31 seconds, the pilot begins takeoff. 23 seconds later, the first officer indicates that they're traveling at 100 knots, which is approximately 185 kilometers an hour. Jesus. The flight engineer confirms that they have four greens. All systems are normal. Six seconds later, mm. the flight office, first officer calls V1. This is an aeronautical term for the speed at which aborting a flight is no longer feasible. They're committed to takeoff. At 2.43 oh. and 10 seconds, they strike the DC-10's metal strip. It shears the tyre with such force that the debris is sent into the underside of the left wing and the inside of the landing gear housing. The resulting damage renders the landing gear stuck in the extended position and the force of the tyre debris striking the underside of the left wing causes the fuel tucks fuel tanks within to rupture. Three seconds after the strike, alarms begin indicating a fire uh, is blaring in the cockpit. Set- oh, sorry. No, fuck that one up completely there. The <laughs> alarms are not indicating the fires in the cockpit, that there is a fire and it's indicating in the cockpit. So seven seconds yeah, later, gotcha. <laughs> engines one and two roll back. They've failed. The flight crew immediately puts the fire, the engine fire procedure into place while trying to maintain speed. They are still committed to the takeoff. At 2.43, 30 seconds, the crew first notice the flight gear won't retract. They're Uh in the air now, and maintaining airspeed will be their biggest battle, and the extended landing gear is fighting against them, creating additional drag. Uh For the next 30 seconds, the crew fight desperately to control the plane. It is veered wildly off to the left during takeoff, and due to its fixed delta wings, doesn't have the lift or the flaps and slats to help correct itself which are standard on every other plane. <laughs> to air traffic control, the Concorde is a flying ball of flames. The entire rear section of the plane is engulfed in flames oh, emanating Jesus from the left Christ. side. Fuel oh tanks. There is footage of this you can see on YouTube. It is literally just a ball. No of shit. Um, at 2.44 and 15 seconds, the first officer announces they are trying to make it to nearby Le Bourget Airport. I probably butchered that as well, but I tried. While they're uh, on fire. While they're on fire, they're trying to land the plane. Fucking hell. Mm-hmm. The pilot is still fighting the plane, and it is pitched back, nose to the sky. The crew rolls back engines three and four in an attempt to stabilize the plane and bring the nose down. Unfortunately, the engines stall, and the plane shoots directly into Hotelissimo, Les Relais Blues Hotel. 
It is 2.44 and 31 seconds. Their entire flight has lasted exactly two minutes, and they never made it above 200 feet. All 105 crew and passengers on board are killed. Four guests at the hotel are also killed. The hotel is all but raised in the fiery inferno that Flight 4590 leaves behind. In the aftermath, all Concords are grounded until what went wrong can be determined and addressed. New burst-resistant tyres are designed, as well as Kevlar linings added to the wings to prevent impact-related ruptures. The Concorde was set to fly again in late 2001. Unfortunately, just before their planned revival of the New York route, in November 2001, the peace-loving religion put a big downturn on air travel. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. By May 2003, Air France had pulled the plug on the Concorde and British Airways followed suit in October. Good night, sweet prince. So um, it's kind of fucked up that one accident put the uh, an entire model of plane to bed. You know, yeah, no, they had like really, it was really bad PR. I think mm. it was because it was such a low flight accident, so like it was less than two hundred feet, and there's videos of the plane just burning as it's flying. Yeah, but I mean, I would if someone mm. said to me, you can. Get on this plane, it's going to take you eight and a half hours. Or you can get on this plane, it costs you three, it takes you three and a half hours. Mm. And one of them exploded once. I'd still get on that one. <laughs> Look, honestly, I think the Concorde, <laughs> like it had an excellent safety record. It had been operating huh. commercially since 1976 and they'd never had an accident. Um, oh, really? I didn't realize they'd mm. operated for that long. Yeah, well, it was designed in 1969 commercially. Oh, wow. I thought, I thought they only ran for a few years. No, no, it ran, it ran for a long time. This particular plane had 4,815 successful takeoffs and landings. Wow. So it wasn't like a, like they they were extremely safe and pilots said that they were excellent to pilot. Like they it's were, not even the plane's fault. It's the fact mm. that it didn't have a, a clean runway. Yeah, well, I, exactly. I mean- Hashtag had, Concorde did nothing wrong. No, well, they, they, <laughs> they, they had <laughs> um, identified that the fires were a weak spot with Concorde. Because yeah. because of the delta wings and the fact that they didn't have those flaps and slats to help li- create lift, and they had the the they were fixed wings, the plane had to be going yeah, much that's, faster that's, to take off. That's an aerodynamics which, thing, though, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, they knew about it, and the issue was that I think over their twenty seven year flight history, they'd had seven serious incidents with, with tires exploding, but none of them had led to anything short of yeah. you know like a forced landing or a forced aborted landing. Um, so they'd never been that serious. They just consider them serious because it could have, you know, could have gone wrong or something like that. Um, so, like, they had identified this as a weak area. So you could say, well, they should have designed these burst-resistant tires sooner, which is a fair point. Yeah. Um, but it was just a freak accident because it hit the underside of the left wing, but it hit it so hard, and because the tanks were so full, the hydrostatic shock caused the mm. fifth uh, fuel tank to explode. Um, and then when that exploded, it just started pouring Shit. all the contents of the fuel out behind the plane yeah. and, and into those electronics that weren't shielded and been damaged. Um, and then they ignited immediately. So then you just had a giant ball of fire flying through the air. Um, yeah. It is just entirely a freak accident because yeah, it's a freak it, accident. That's that's all it is. It's not yeah. something you could. Um, it's not something you could really design against. I don't think. No, absolutely not. But. Brad, did you did you look up these stats on like whether concords as opposed to 
747s or A380s or something like that in, you know, had more accidents per craft or something like that? Like you, I didn't look at specific crafts. Um, I know that pretty much every aircraft has had some sort of, you know, major incident. Um, yeah. Like every type of model. So, oh, yeah. I mean, sure. I think Concorde's the only one that's been pretty much destroyed by a single accident. Um, yeah. I, I didn't look at yeah. the incidence rates, but I... Because in that in that episode that we were talking about with um, the the mm. woman who fell out of the sky and somehow survived it, like that was she was flying in these planes called DC Electras, and they were like notoriously uh, bad, and like they went out of business sh- shortly after that because they kept having <laughs> crashes. So um, yeah, but like in terms of whether you know, as a on percentage, average, was yeah. a Concorde more or less safe than a seven four seven or um, a mechanically? Or I think. They're exceptional. I think the only issues they ever have were with the tyres. I think there was a total of 20 incidences over 27 years and seven serious ones which actually caused damage. So the tyres were the main weak spot with them. The engines were exceptional. They'd never had like, – I couldn't find any um, instances of engines failing or anything like that or um, structural integrity being compromised. It was just the tyres the because they had to maintain such a high speed to take off and mm. They even came in at a lot, a lot faster speed. Again, it was due to the rigid delta wings, so yeah. they would actually nose down and like aim at the airport, um, <laughs> as opposed to coming in like a flat. Because when they came in on a flat, the drag would lift the front of the plane up so hard. Yeah, and it'd flip um, it over. Yeah, so they would come in. It's almost twice the speed that a normal plane would come in, and then they would like flare at the last oh, second God. and put a huge strain on the tires, obviously. Um, but yeah, as far mm. as incidences of. You know, even like engines mal- malfunctioning or anything. I-, I couldn't find anything. So I would say that mm. they were as safe, if not more safe, than, you know, like your 747 or your A380s or any of those sort of planes. Mm. Interesting. Despite running for 571 episodes, Lassie never featured an episode where little Timmy fell down the well. Ah. Do with oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah. Childhood ruined. <laughs> so yeah, I would say that the uh, Concords were as safe, if not safer, than any other plane that's out there at the moment. Yeah. Now, Brad, in your research, did you happen to come across the, uh, the I Soviet did. Model I did. Of the Concorde, <laughs> the Tupolev Tu-144, which ran for considerably shorter and was a lot less luxurious. Yes. So it was the only other supersonic uh, <laughs> commercial airliner that was ever released. Uh-huh. And um, I don't have the exact stats on it here, but I think it ran for about 15 years on pure Soviet spite. <laughs> and yeah. Didn't it fly? I, I can't remember because I haven't looked it up for ages, but didn't it fly like a really short route and it wasn't commercially viable and they were yes. just doing the, it to show like, could do they it. Yeah. Have, the West has a supersonic yeah. one, so we can that have is a supersonic exactly one it. as well. And even though they're. The transatlantic one was built with, like, mm-hmm. luxury in mind, whereas the Soviet one was just, like, incredibly uncomfortable, yeah. incredibly loud. It was just not yeah, a pleasant so flying the, experience the, at all. The Concorde itself was, yeah, made for, you know, transatlantic flights. Um, you couldn't fly it domestically because the sonic boom would destroy your house windows. Um, <laughs> so, they, they had to fly it over, over the ocean. Um, you had to boom and it over had the ocean like, airways and everything like that. The Tupolev, you're right, only flew, like, I think one or two routes, and it was just for high-ranking party of officials, and it was apparently the most uncomfortable experience, just loud, vibrating, shaking yeah. the entire way. Like, you did not feel safe in it. Whereas 
um, descriptions of the Concorde were it was quiet, it was perfectly smooth. Pilots loved to fly it. They said it was the best handling plane that they've ever flown. And there are actually a lot of pilots who were Concorde pilots were very upset that they were retired because they were such yeah. good planes to fly. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, in stark contrast to the Tupolev TU-144. So, uh, yeah, the, the Russians are very spiteful people. <laughs> and, yes, their plane was supersonic, but it was not luxurious. I think it is crazy, though, that in, in all the years since, um, another manufacturer hasn't floated the idea of, of another mm plane commercial passenger plane that fast because surely with the advances in technology now it would be even better it it would be yeah even better even safer and more viable like why isn't elon musk getting on this he put his fucking tesla roadster into space Mm. but he i did you know i did um come across (laughs) when i was looking watching i was watching extensive amount of youtube videos about this and there Mm. was one that was filmed uh, released on YouTube at least this late last year, and they were talking about um, some not commercial ones, but sort of more private sonic, uh, supersonic planes yeah. that might be coming oh. in the next six to twelve months. They reckon. Oh. Uh, I think one company was just called Boom, wow. which is not a good name for a plane company. <laughs> I think they were trying to reference something Boom, but they yeah. Yeah. sort of whoosh over their head there. Um, but they, you know, they're sort of like your G five size planes, so you know, yeah, ten to fifteen passengers um but they would be supersonic and they did look pretty cool but i i yeah no i the fact that no one has gone back to supersonic territory is uh, to me it seems crazy one of the things i remember yeah. when I was a kid because i've seen concord as a kid i wanted to fly on a concord so i'll never get to do that which is a bummer mm. um i don't have the fucking money to but you know at least if it was there dangling like a carrot you know it would be nice <laughs> um <laughs> but yeah no i what they think is that we're going to skip completely over supersonic and go hypersonic flight, which is obviously leaving the, um, well, not leaving the, like getting as close to leaving the atmosphere as possible. Into the stratosphere, like, yeah. Yeah, basically the top of the stratosphere and then coming back down. So you could do someone, something like um, London to Sydney in like two hours or something like that. Yeah. Hour and a half, two hours. So they think we'll skip straight over supersonic wow. and go hypersonic. So. Because I'm sure, I'm sure there are companies that would do it if it was feasible. But I don't know. Maybe the demand's mm. not there anymore, or it's too risky, or it's too much investment, or it's regulated out the arsehole or something like that. I mean, I'm sure people have had yeah. the idea of doing it. They just can't yeah, do it for whatever reason. Because you think you would go steps, so it would become yeah. commercially viable for supersonic, and while they're working on the originally having hypersonic, you know. But yeah, Concorde's such a mm. fucking oh, wicked name yeah. too. Like, I want to fly on a fucking Probably the plane called Concord. That sounds awesome. Yeah, and not a that Boeing 747. That just sounds slow and big and cumbersome. <laughs> oh, Airbus? That just sounds terrible. The bus, bus is the, the worst sky. form of transport. Why would I want to do that in the air? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Unwashed masses. All right, I think it's a good time to do Morgan's Morgan. Would You Rather. Morgan. Morgan's Would You Rather. Okay, so um, speaking of the Concorde, Brad, that's about Ooh. flight times, things being uh, quick. Now, I just flew to and from Europe this yes, uh, yes. previous summer before um, the uh, virus <laughs> cut out all travel. And uh, it was extremely uh-huh. unpleasant to fly that mm-hmm. far on a fucking plane. Um, so... For Morgan's Would You Rather, this is the scenario. You're flying to Europe. You're flying to London. You're going to have to stop over somewhere. So, like, you know, 
Dubai yeah. or Abu Dhabi or Singapore or whatever. Now, would you rather fly business class to Europe and back home? So, that's all four mm-hmm. flights, business class. Or would you rather fly first class one direction to Europe or from Europe? But oh, economy, the that other is direction. so easy. Business class, both ways. Yeah, <laughs> that is business class all day, every day. Once you go well, first class, you cannot go yeah. back to economy. It's just going to make it even more of a nightmare, knowing how much better it can be. Yeah, you've tasted the the good life. That's Maybe right. If it was, That's right. It was flipped like economy the first time there. You know, first class on the way back. Maybe, maybe because you may. I'll get it either way. Oh, you can go either way, Brad. No, I said that. You can go either direction. Yeah, but then you're never going to want to get on a plane. You can go ever economy again. there. You can go first class. Look, let's I think be business class is business class yeah. is better than economy, but not so much better that you could never fly an economy again. Whereas if you even if you do first class <laughs> on the way back, you're never getting on another plane after that because you, you know what Maybe you're you wouldn't need to. <laughs> I chances Maybe of me don't want to be traveling anymore. Anyway. Spending the money to go business class are pretty low anyway. I'd probably Fair, be yeah. happy with business class, but you know what? Fuck it, yellow. I'm gonna say I'll I'll take the first class on the way back. Hey, yeah, well. I'll do it. I'll do it. I want to see how the rich and powerful live, and then <laughs> hate myself. How much of a bowler would you feel sitting oh, in fucking first class? That would be amazing. That'd be yeah. amazing. But yeah, you're right. I'd never be able to fly. You just look down. Like, down it would have to be the last flight I ever take. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think I'd go business yeah, both definitely. ways just because I really, really, really struggle in economy. Not because the first class would just ruin flights for me and never be able to, Like, that's not my reasoning. My reasoning is that economy so just is just anything so to get out of especially economy. Especially for me because I'm so tall and big. I forgot that you fly business every yeah, day. Sorry, so I would never. <laughs> no, I've never been business. I always ask for an upgrade and sometimes people are like politely like, oh, no, sorry, I can't do that. And other times they look Who at the me fuck like- are you? <laughs> fuck off why are you even asking you don't want to pay so, for it you're not fucking getting but if you don't ask you don't ask you never <laughs> no my sister got upgraded to my sister flies to and from Europe a lot but one which time is she bullshit because she is three and a half feet tall <laughs> yeah. she of all She's people does not need that leg room did she no, ask think, for it or was she yeah, just selected exactly. um, the best you know. can hope for remember. is to get seated in the exit row because you get the extra leg room there <laughs> that's the best we can hope for. Oh, that's so true. Um, well, when I was flying back from Europe, by the way, on both legs on the way back from Europe, there were exit row seats that were free. And I was like, can I go and sit in them? And they're like, no, you have to pay. What? And I was like, but nobody's using them. And they're like, yeah, you can pay on board if you got your credit card. And I was like, oh, no, they said cash only. Yeah, it has to be cash. And I was like, I didn't bring enough cash. <laughs> and... <laughs> Like, if no one's free. sitting in Let them, me yeah. fucking sit in them. And they actually police them. Yeah. Make sure they don't sit in Headlines fucking suck. Uh, yeah, it was bad. All right. Anyway, Lachlan, do you want to uh, tell us about your air crash investigation? In fact, let me get someone else to start this off. January 15, 2009 started just like 10,000 other days, literally. And flight 1549 initially like all those other flights for so long, was completely routine and unremarkable for the first 100 seconds. But this very suddenly, and I was aware of it at the time, became the worst day of my life. 
bum, bum, bum. Ominous. <laughs> the man you just heard speaking is Captain Chesley Burnett Sullenberger III. The pilot, oh, yes. the pilot of US Airways Flight 1549 on January 12th, 2009, and a goddamn hero. <laughs> At 3.26pm on that fateful day, the Airbus A320 took off from LaGuardia Airport in New York, headed for SeaTac International, Washington, which loyal listeners will have heard me talk about before on our episode on People Who Snapped. Mm-hmm. Sky King. Sky King. Again, we just, we talk about a lot of plane crashes. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Within the first 80 seconds of lifting off, still climbing to altitude, the plane hit a flock of Canada geese. Canada geese are big birds. They have a wingspan of about six feet. So when a few of them got sucked through the engines, the turbines were absolutely obliterated. The plane lost all power. They were gliding. Yeah, like geese. There are- <laughs> Geese have more thrust than this plane had after the engines went out. <laughs> there, now, there are procedures in place for this sort of thing. A plane hitting a bird is not an uncommon occurrence, and sometimes they do take out an engine. The normal course of action is to circle back and land at the same airport you took off from. Today was not normal. The flock of geese that US 1549 hit was flying unusually low, Normally, you don't run the risk of large flocks until you're higher up, and thus further away from the airport. Normally, you don't lose both engines at the same time. Normally, you would have enough space and enough altitude to turn around and limp your way back to a landing strip. Normally, a freak accident like this would see the deaths of hundreds of people. Today was not normal. (laughs) Yeah, boy. The emergency procedures just simply did not account for a plane losing both engines at such a low altitude, and so soon after takeoff. Air Traffic Control told Captain Sully to follow procedure anyway. It was the only plan they had. Luckily, Sully didn't listen. Mm-hmm. It took Sully and his co-pilot, Jeffrey Skiles, 30 seconds from turning a large group of geese into a fine red mist to realise exactly the situation <laughs> they were in. But the second they came to that realisation, they jumped into action. Immediately, Sully started turning the plane around. Again, the only written procedure for this was to head back home, so he probably did this much without thinking. But it wasn't long until he figured out that they weren't going to make it back to LaGuardia. Mm-hmm. Not with his giant brass balls weighing him down. <laughs> <laughs> the tower at LaGuardia told Sully to return to runway 13, the same runway they had taken off from. Unable, Sully responded. Ugh. By this stage, the Airbus was pointed toward Teterboro Airport in New Jersey. Maybe that was an option. Sully asked as much of air traffic control, who immediately cleared runway 1 for landing. But the pilot had realised by now that Teterboro was too far as well. They were fighting gravity, and that's not an opponent you want to underestimate. Mm-hmm. You're in a 37 metre long, 60,000 kilo aluminium cylinder above one of the most densely built and populated cities in the world, and you're falling faster than your co-pilot can read out your altitude. Where are you going to put this human-filled missile without killing hundreds, maybe thousands of people? I'm terrified. I'm like, my palm, palms are sweaty, knees weak. Like, this is, this is <laughs> making you stress. This is your nightmare. 
Maybe there's some large body of that. water that you could put yeah. the plane I'm in. Trying to, I'm trying to paint a word picture for you here. <laughs> I want you to be in the moment. You're doing well. We can't do it, Sully conceded over the radio. Then after a short pause, we're going to be in the Hudson. <laughs> oh, I would be shitting bricks as soon as he said it. Sullenberger and Skiles each had 20,000 hours flight time. Sully was a former Air Force fighter pilot, and Skiles had been flying cargo and passenger planes since he was 15. A water landing is something neither of them knew how to handle. There's no training for this. There's no procedures. It's not programmed into flight simulators. The extent of the education Sully had on landing a plane on water was a hypothetical classroom discussion when he was in the Air Force. There is no way you can know how to do this. But... At 3.31pm, five minutes after takeoff, Captain Sully, with full manual control of the plane and judging the distance to the water solely by looking out the windscreen, hit the Hudson River at 230 kilometers an hour and safely landed US Airways Flight 1549. <laughs> the insane. National Transportation Safety Board launched an investigation into the incident soon after. Sully had been criticised for making such a dangerous and unsanctioned decision. Surely he had enough time to make it back to LaGuardia or over the river to Teterboro, right? Wrong. Get fucked. In simulations (laughs) carried out afterwards, only 8 of 15 pilots were able to land safely at one of the two airports, and all of those began turning immediately as the birds hit the engines. When a 35-second delay was added to account for reaction time, every single simulation ended in a crash. Yeah. Not a single person died that day because of Sully's quick thinking, cool head under extreme pressure, and expert piloting skills. He is a fucking hero, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. Time Magazine ranked him second in their top 100 most influential heroes and icons of 2009 behind Michelle Obama, so they can all eat a bag of dicks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's Uh, like saved a bunch of people, but have you heard of this uh, school lunch program? (laughs) Stunning and brave. Uh, That's bullshit. And it wouldn't be Brad as a bad person without a conspiracy angle. So here's a theory that's been floated, suggesting the plane was brought down on purpose. Don't you remember when that plane had to land in the river in New York because Canada Gooses flew into the engine? It's because Canada Gooses likely had intel that was a pedophile or two on board and took matters into their own hands. (laughs) 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 Not so polite anymore, are they? It's Canadian geese. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Look, are you saying that the uh, the officials, the authorities, were saying that uh-huh. Sully made the wrong decision, that he should have yes. flown to the airport? Yeah, so they're, they said, they're he, they said he made the wrong call. They're suggesting that he, after saving everybody, mm-hmm. uh, made the wrong decision. Like, he was like, yeah, I know I should do this, but I think it would just be cool to land it on the river, so I'm doing that instead. Pretty much, yeah. Really? Yeah. They think yeah. that he like he was like, oh, I'm just the best. I'm just going to do this for fun. Yeah. After after all the simulations proved that he made the right call, they said, okay, yeah, he did make the right decision. If he had have listened to us, everyone on that plane would have died. But at first, yeah. they're like, no, nah, that's crazy. You can't land on a river. You should have listened to us. We know you saved everyone, but that was just a fluke. You know, you can't be you can't be just uh, going off uh, going off menu like this. Fucking yeah. Bureaucracy. Stick to the protocol. 
finest. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, it's funny that they like, I guess it, it's understandable, but you know, the it's like we have a procedure for this. So just yeah. do the procedure. And he's like, well, the scenario is different to what yeah, would what usually plan for. happen yeah. to enact that, that protocol. And they're just like, well, you know, this is what's happened. So you have to That's do right. it. That's right. That's right. Exactly. It, it, is, quite, it is bureaucracy. Isn't it quite ironic that so many, when you watch air crash investigations, so many of these planes go down because of pilot error, because the pilot fucked up, did something hmm. wrong. Now, there's a lot of mechanical failures as well, but quite often it's pilot error. The pilot made a mistake. This is the one time where it's like the pilot, uh, pilot saved, saved the, the day. day. Yeah. That the error was in the actual, if everything went, you know, according to, the algorithms and the schedule the, and uh-huh. the protocol, it would have been bad. Whereas if the pilot did something different and that was actually what saved it. Yeah. Absolutely. What a goddamn here. I'm yeah. really glad that Tom Hanks was able to land that plane. <laughs> I, uh, I actually haven't seen, I actually haven't seen the movie Sully, but oh, um, I watched, movie. I watched a few clips and um, the clip where, the geese hit the plane and he's talking to air traffic control and air traffic controller, like trying to figure out what to do is just, it, it blew me away. Yeah. yeah Stressful. Be, I, I, it gave me, gave me a really good appreciation for how like calm and straight to the point the air traffic control guys are. They're just mm-hmm. like, he's lost both engines. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing. You know, just yeah. fucking There's take no care bullshit. of business. And they're coordinating with like every other air yep. ATC in the area. It oh, yeah, he was talking pilot. to different towers at different airports. He was talking to the Coast Guard in New York and New Jersey to try and get yeah. pla- uh, boats out to help once they landed. It was crazy. Yeah, I, it, it, like, I think that they have like extremely rigorous testing for ATC officers. And in, like if you start performing at like a slightly lower level... Oh, come on, you, did that on, you like, did that on purpose, Brad. <laughs> oh, no, I did it, didn't I? Oh, oh that was on purpose. I'm sure oh, it was. I wish it was. Um, You're just trying to rustle my jeans. person. But, yeah, I think they have, like, extremely stringent guidelines for being an ATC officer. Um, Because if you're not at your best, like, there's so many lives on the line. Um, Yeah. And I I know that it's, like, extremely rigid. I I can't remember it off the top of my head, but I was reading, because, you know, this stuff is fascinating. I remember I was reading about people who've been let go as ATC officers and it. And it's insane the amount of multitasking they have to be able to do because, you know, they're, they're talking to every plane in the air. Something yep. goes wrong. Someone calls emergency. They immediately need to tell every plane in the air, "This is it. No one talking on this line." Yeah, then you're going um, to it'd different. Be, it'd be so stressful, and like mm. so many air traffic controllers commit suicide because they just can't handle the oh. stress. But uh, well, that's dark. Wow. <laughs> yeah, gave me it gave me a new gave me a new appreciation for the job. And um, that that clip of Sully talking at the top was from a YouTube channel called Inc. Inc. Uh, the video, I can't remember the exact title, but it's something like uh, Sully gives a minute-by-minute minute recount of... I've seen that exact video. Uh, yeah, it's it's very good, and we'll link it in the description because I would strongly recommend everyone listening go watch that video. Um, Sully does a better job uh, oh, describing it than I ever dude, could. Dude is ice cold, calm, and collected. And he's very well-spoken, and he has a great yeah. vocabulary as well. So it's just, yeah. it's it's a very interesting 12 minutes. Like, he, when he's discussing his choice of wording even to say yeah. things to his co-pilot and to the the, yeah. 
the cabin yeah. and the cabin crew. Because of how much weight different words carry, yeah. Yeah. So, like, he's thinking he doesn't want to say anything that wants to, that's going to elicit panic, but he wants people to be prepared. To understand so how bad yeah. the situation is, yeah. So, he's like, brace, brace. No, I mean, yeah, brace, brace for impact. Brace for impact. Yeah. yeah. So, he doesn't want to say anything. He's like, oh, we're going to freak out. But he's like, I need you to know that this is serious. <laughs> And I need yeah. the cabin crew to know that we have got to be on our shit. And then that they oh. acted immediately based on what he said. Like, he, he runs through it so well. It is such a great YouTube video. And it's with the yeah. man himself. So, definitely check that out. Mm. Could you imagine how stressful it would be to be a passenger in that plane? Like, oh. the captain just comes on. He's like, uh, unscheduled stop on the Hudson. <laughs> I love how he doesn't refer to it as an accident or like a, a crash. He a forced water landing. I, I think that that's yeah. amazing. Like, he just told him to fuck off. It's like, I didn't crash that plane. I landed that no, bitch. He did land that plane. Absolutely. Yeah, he fucking did. Absolutely. He told him to get fucked. It was amazing. Yeah. 155 people on board. No one died. It is insane. Because when you hit that water at that speed, it's like concrete. It's not- 230 kilometers an hour. Can you believe mm. that? Can you imagine? If I could, have you ever belly flopped into a pool? <laughs> Hurts. It's like hitting the ground. Can yeah, you imagine, imagine you a fucking 60,000 kilo plane? You you Jesus that. Christ. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, that, that was an excellent choice. I'm quite glad you chose that one. Um, Thank you. All right. So today, I'm not going to talk about a plane crash. Oh. I'm going to talk about an air crash. That's right. The episode's be... not called plane crashes. It's called air crashes. Got your little technicality. Um, and... It is about a rapist getting what he deserved in a moment of karmic <laughs> justice, but eight other souls caught in the crossfire. Yes, that's right. I'm talking about Kobe. All right, now I'm going to talk about. <laughs> wow. I'm going to talk about the. Oh, nice. Well done. The OG air crash disaster. Not the first air crash disaster, but the first big memorable one. Hitler's very mm-hmm. own swastika emblazoned LZ-129 Hindenburg, which went down in a blaze of fire in 1937. <laughs> yeah, boy. The catalyst for the end of the Zeppelin era of commercial flights. The horrifying footage and the emotional radio announcement of the disaster went more viral than a bat biting a pangolin. And all around the world... <laughs> People lost faith in these giant skyships. This is ridiculous. Have you ever been on a jumbo jet? Well, an Airbus A380, the largest current passenger jet, is 71 metres long and has a cabin width of 7 metres. In comparison, the Hindenburg was 245 metres long and 41 metres wide at its widest. Jesus. The Hindenburg was a mammoth in the sky. In fact, the Hindenburg had much more in common with the Titanic in terms of size than a jumbo jet. The Hindenburg was only 10% shorter than the Titanic, but it was actually 45% wider at its widest point. This was a big motherfucking airship. (laughs) Uh And it also was unsinkable like the Titanic. Well, just like the Titanic, the Hindenburg is It was swapped for out for another craft before it crashed for an insurance scam. <laughs> Hit a sky. That's, that, hap- that happened with the Hindenburg? Yeah. So, just like the Titanic, the Hindenburg <laughs> is remembered for a failed transatlantic crossing. However, unlike the Titanic, the Hindenburg made 62 successful trips before its destruction. Ooh. 
The Hindenburg had a normal cruise altitude of only 200 meters, but it was often flown low, lower, as low as 100 meters. At these heights, the passengers enjoyed spectacular views when cruising over cities and coastlines and islands. In fact, there was footage recovered from the wreckage of the Hindenburg that showed passengers excitingly looking out the window of the craft as it passed above giant icebergs in the Atlantic. Wow, they actually recovered anything from that thing? Yeah, wow. Get ready for this. It's, <laughs> it's unbelievable. This is yeah. unbelievable. The windows were quite <laughs> large and some actually opened up to let in fresh air. Now, that's going to be important to remember later. Oh. <laughs> the cruising speed of the craft was 125 kilometers per hour or about 75 miles per hour, just faster than most speed limits for cars on freeways. This means that it took about 50 hours to fly the six. 6,300 kilometers or 4,000 miles between Frankfurt and New Jersey. The Hindenburg was built for luxury travel. Despite its mammoth size, the Hindenburg had a capacity to carry only 50 passengers, but it needed around 60 crewmen to operate. <laughs> now you- <laughs> that is not efficient at all. Yeah, so you can probably imagine that it costs a shitload of money for two days sailing above the Atlantic in a massive airship with more crew than passengers. The cost of a one-way ticket between New Jersey and Frankfurt was 400 US dollars. At the time, equivalent to about 7,000 US dollars today. That's not not unreasonable compared to a first-class plane ticket. That's Concorde prices. True. Uh, This was roughly twice as expensive as taking an ocean liner, so airship travel was truly for the elite. And the ocean liners were a bit slower, but not drastically slower. I think they're about three days instead of two days. So, Um, While while completing one of these trips on May 6th, 1937, the docking at Lakehurst, New Jersey would prove fatal. No one knows for sure why the Hindenburg burst into flames, but it is most commonly believed that it was a combination of a gas leak and atmospheric static conditions. What is known is that the Hindenburg went from completely intact to completely destroyed in less than a minute. From the first sign of fire on the fabric skin being complete, the first sign of fire to the fabric skin being completely burned off was only about 30 seconds. And the Hindenburg burnt up quick. The Hindenburg, already low to the ground, crashed hard as ground crew and passengers who leapt from the craft were desperately running in all directions. Yes, that's right. Not many people know this, but of the 97 people on board the Hindenburg, 63 actually managed to escape with their lives. Really? Yeah. This means that amazingly, only one third of those on board ended up dying. If you watch the footage of the crash carefully you can actually see dozens of people running from underneath the Hindenburg just before it crumples in a pile of flames and mangled steel. When you Most say of the crew escape, members... Right? Yeah. Like with, like, third-degree burns to 99% of their body, right? <laughs> no, no. No, no, most of them they're, weren't burned at all. They jumped they're out They're running and their before. skin's just peeling off them as they're running. <laughs> oh, right? like, Jesus that's, Christ. That's what you're talking about. Because there's no it's way... It's a big balloon, Brad. It. It's not a fucking nuclear weapon. <laughs> You've seen it. That thing is just a ball of flames falling on people. That is, there's no way anyone got out of that. That's insane. Like, not no, unmaimed, anyway. No, no, most people were uninjured. They got out. Conspiracy. Anyway. 
<laughs> Most of the crew <laughs> members in the control car and engine car survived, but those deeper in the craft were not so lucky. Passengers who had cabin windows or those near the windows on the port side mostly survived, but many of those on the starboard, starboard side were unable to escape due to a jammed door and the fact that the craft rolled slightly onto its starboard side as it hit the ground, blocking off their escape route. Ugh. There that, is footage of the Hindenburg. That is a nightmare fuel. Could you imagine being in that thing, the window? You can't get out the window, and there's just a ball of flame above you. Just How long do you think up. they were alive for in there? It's gotta Not be- long. Not long. It's no, got to be longer than you'd want to be. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, but, um, yeah. So, there is footage of the Hindenburg approaching the air station and footage of the crash, but the crash video starts after the fire has already erupted. There is no footage of the moment the Hindenburg burst into flames. The footage is often played alongside a radio report by Herbert Morrison since he was commentating the Hindenburg's arrival for WLS in Chicago and kept reporting as the airship burst into flames. Morrison's emotional reaction of the events unfolding in front of him is genuine, raw, and absolutely chilling. His words have become inextricably linked with the disaster, especially his phrase, Oh, the humanity. (laughs) Oh, the humanity. (laughs) Unlike journalists of today, Morrison seems to have real human empathy and actually (laughs) care about other people. Here is a short clip. Welcome. It's a terrific crash, ladies and gentlemen. The smoke and the flames now, and the flame is rising to the ground. Not quite to the morning mass. All the humanity and all the passengers speeding around it. I told you, I can't even talk to people. The friends are out there. It's a, it's, it's a, oh. I, I can't talk, ladies and gentlemen. Honest, it's just laying down massive smoking wreckage. He sounds pretty upset. It doesn't sound that bad. (laughs) (laughs) This chilling radio broadcast played alongside the horrible footage of the crash scared people off these airships for good. Though this was not the first airship crash, nor the deadliest, it was the most horrifying because regular people all over the world could watch it and hear the voice of someone who was there witnessing it. The demand for airship travel vanished almost instantly after the Hindenburg crash, and people started putting their faith into commercial airliners, which were much faster and clearly going to be the future of air travel anyway. So the, le- the Zeppelin era ended essentially overnight because of the Hindenburg crash. Just like with the Concorde era, with the uh, Concorde crash. Uh, yeah. Look, the, the Zeppelin era needed to end. Like, you were in a giant oh, gas ready to How burn. fucking cool are they, though, Brad? Honestly. <laughs> They are the coolest looking fucking air vehicles going around. No, no. Maybe if you're a Nazi here. No, if you're cruising around. Oh, Brad. Okay, say what you want about the Nazis, but they had fucking style. All right. Have you seen their uniforms? (laughs) They They knew what they were doing. Exactly. They knew what they were doing. Okay. Okay. Nothing says class like cruising around in a Zeppelin. All right. Would you you get in a Zeppelin? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, me too. I wouldn't. Well, you know, when you think about like the the likelihood, it's it's pretty low. And Brad, these things were fucking luxury in the sky. Yeah, like they were huge. You had so mm-hmm. much room. You had like it was like a cruise ship. Like it was a yeah. sky. It was a sky cruise, cruise ship in the sky. Yeah, but do you know what else it, is like a cruise ship? 
A Christian. <laughs> yeah, and that's not going to burst into flames if it's like, like someone looks at yeah. it incorrectly. Well, it might. Yeah, but it'll give you fucking bad aids and then you won't even be able to go to a country. <laughs> Every country yeah, will block your dumb if you got bad aids in the Hindenburg, you'd just be stuck in the air. You wouldn't get it. Only rich people travel <laughs> in the Hindenburg. That's right. Alright, so I've got some fun facts about the Hindenburg because it was uh, pretty short. The Hindenburg use flammable hydrogen rather than non-flammable helium (laughs) since the US had basically a monopoly on helium at the time and refused to export any to Germany after World War I. Still, Hugo Eckener designed the Hindenburg class of airships to use helium since he believed he would be able to successfully lobby the US to lift the ban. Mm. After all, the Treaty of Versailles had restrictions on Germany building airships uh, of a certain size, but they were later relaxed. So he thought it was gonna, he was going to be able to get it passed. However, he was unsuccessful and forced to use hydrogen. Mm. See? So if you used <laughs> helium, it would be safe, Brad. There's no risk of an explosion there. Yeah, maybe. But who's to say that they don't, they don't accidentally fill it with hydrogen instead of helium? No, that's... Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they just put the wrong They don't accidentally put regular ULP in the jet <laughs> engine van. Mm, you shouldn't go on planes. Um, now, the Hindenburg was actually used as a propaganda tool for the uh-huh. 1936 referendum, which asked the German people if they should directly contravene the Treaty of Versailles and reoccupy the Rhineland. The Hindenburg was employed to play patriotic music pro-Hitler messages and drop leaflets all around the country. And without this help, who knows if the referendum would still have been successful. And this is, you know, something that obviously led to World War Two. So Hindenburg played a big part in that because only 98.8% of Germans voted in favour of reoccupying the Rhineland. <laughs> it was a very narrow referendum victory. <laughs> Listen, if, if, a, if a Zeppelin comes cruising by... Starts shouting propaganda at me and dropping leaflets on me. I'm voting for whoever they're they're telling me to vote for because that is so fucking cool. You're only human. Do you know how many Goodyear tires I've bought? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, Yeah, and it was also used as a propaganda tool in the 1936 Berlin Olympics when it was flown over the opening ceremony to showcase German ingenuity and engineering. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else have I got? Um, no one who survived the Hindenburg is still alive today. The last living survivor died in November 2019. Oh, Very yeah. He was eight years old at the time of the disaster. His mother threw him and his brother out of a window and then jumped out oh, after them, geez. and the three of them survived. Nice. However, his sister and father died in the crash. So, oh. <laughs> I wasn't exactly a happy ending. Well, so you she picked some, her favourite some. kids and threw them out the window. <laughs> And then, well, she must have, because then she bailed after that. <laughs> she didn't wait out. for the other two. Nah, That's who knows? Point. They could have been in different parts of the ship. Anyway, um, <laughs> the landing in New Jersey needed to be delayed due to bad weather, so the captain, Max Pruss, made uh, the most of this opportunity by taking his passengers on a tour of Manhattan, much to the passengers' delight and to the delight of New Yorkers, who were not used to seeing this massive ship in the sky. Hmm. New Yorkers are not so fond anymore of unexpected aircraft flying <laughs> through Manhattan. Where? Jesus Christ! 
The captain, Max Pruss, <laughs> escaped the control car, but instead of running away, he stayed put and then went into the wreckage to look for survivors. He was in hospital for months due to burns, but ultimately survived. Seems like a pretty cool dude. Yeah. yeah. Well, he's the Could captain of a fucking airship. He must be a cool dude. Yeah. Could have off. Yeah. <laughs> um, and there were actually four airship disasters that were more deadly than the Hindenburg, and they all occurred before 1937. So, the Hindenburg was the fifth worst airship disaster. See, it's just a PR thing. That's all it is. Because people saw this, that's what turned people off. If you don't see it, it doesn't- uh, the reality of it doesn't set in, I don't think. So, were you saying there was four other Zeppelins that had crashed before the- Yeah. And they were so all the, worse. Yeah, not particularly safe then, it sounds like. You're trying to tell me that it's uh, safe, but- No, I mean, at the time it was- just Hydrogen like, uh, zeppelins aren't safe. Helium zeppelins are perfectly safe. <laughs> well, Lachlan, you say that, but the deadliest crash was the USS Akron. Perfectly safe. <laughs> 73 out of 76 people on board died, and it was a helium ship. It got caught in winds and hit some rocks. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> when your aircraft can be blown into rocks. You get that. It's not safe. <laughs> a strong breeze just makes it, oh, nope, we're gone. But think how cool you would look as you were dying. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> look at that. You would have got a great view of those rocks from the big window. That's right. Um, exactly. Actually, actually, it would be interesting to see the stats on whether the hint, the uh, airships were more or less deadly than cars in, you know, like whether you're expected mm. to die. But, you know, who knows about that? Um, actually, I've got a couple more fun facts. The Hindenburg was carrying mail when it crashed. And less than 1% of these parcels survived the crash. However, oh. all the parcels that survived were successfully delivered. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's nice. And the that last fun fact is that people like Brad think that the Jews did it. There's a conspiracy that the <laughs> Jews... <laughs> Why is it people like sabotage me? Sabotaged the Hindenburg. <laughs> well, <laughs> we heard what you said the other week, Brad. So. Listen, I maintain that what I said was not that offensive, but... You Am I going to have to get the bleep button out again? <laughs> I would, I maybe. <laughs> we should I, do a Facebook, was, Facebook poll. I don't think it was that bad, and you made it sound worse by beeping it. So, that's that's my contention. <laughs> we would uh, get kicked off Facebook if we did a Facebook poll for that. <laughs> On a scale from <laughs> Pharaoh to Hitler, how anti-Semitic is Brad? <laughs> Anyway, that was the Hindenburg. Now, I'm an expert on the Hindenburg now. So, if there are any other questions you have, fire them away. I don't have a question. I just want to tell Brad he's an idiot for not wanting to go on one. Yeah, well, I don't want my it's air, just, it, you just look so to be cool, blown bro. about by it a looks gentle so breeze. so cool. It's like smoking, all right? It's going <laughs> to kill you, but man, you look fucking badass while you're doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cruiser. Uh, well, now that you put it that way, you've peered pressure me into Zeppelin travel. <laughs> <laughs> We've covered the like fastest way to travel in the sky and the slowest way to travel in the sky in these two episodes, and they're both definitely the coolest ways to travel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Brad, you know, you know, blimps are still used extensively today, and there are no accidents with them. So it's like, yeah, there were a lot of crashes at the time, but that was because there wasn't great technology around and. Um, you know, it was a new thing or whatever. So I think today, if they brought back, actually, I'll I'll say it. I'll go on record. 
if they brought back the Hindenburg today, if they rebuild the Hindenburg, it would never crash. They'd figure out a way to make sure it didn't crash. Yeah. <laughs> it's that kind of hubris that's got us here in the first place. Alright. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh, I think it's time to do Brad's Power Rankings. Alright. Brad's Power Rankings. The last two weeks of BPR, we've had the worst Brad's Power Rankings you've ever done. And then the worst Brad's Power Rankings you've ever done. Listen, okay. I went one extreme and then I tried to be safe and... They listen, were both awful, was, just for different yeah, reasons. Yeah, completely different reasons. All right, so, listen, I'm only going to apologise for one of them. You can guess which one it is. <laughs> and that's 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 uh yeah that's that's all I'm going to say on that. So, this week's uh, power rankings are the top, top five, five wo- anti-Semitic slurs. Right, go no, on, what is it? top five worst things about air travel, all right? So I'm trying to oh, shoot yeah. down the middle oh, here okay. for the happy medium. Ah, um, Playing to the crossed. everyman, I like it. Uh, so anyway, I'll be starting at five and working to one, obviously one being the worst thing about air travel. Thanks, Clarify. Yes, I seem to need to do this every week, so I will. Um, Rolling on in. I don't, I don't recall anyone ever asking for that clarification. <laughs> Never. I just feel compelled to do it. Um so number five, fees. Listen, I get if you plan things beforehand, none of these will affect you. But get ready to feel the long fist of Jetstar if you <laughs> expect any flexibility once you've given them your money. Luggage is overweight? That's a fee. Next, Need extra legroom? That's a fee. Want to select your seat so you don't end up next to some sweaty degenerate? That's a fee. <laughs> Shit, if you want to change any detail about your flight, oh, you better believe that's a motherfucking fee. <laughs> that's a bad one. Mm-hmm. Number four, lack of legroom. Yeah. I mm-hmm. am 100% convinced that airlines want to pack us in like sardines so that we all definitely die in the event of an accident. <laughs> <laughs> no survivors. That being said, I'm the cunt who pays for extra room in the front row just so tall people can't have it. Come out, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> just for those listening, Brad is. Yeah, what? 5'4? 5'9. 5'9, bull fucking shit. I'm 5'9! With heels on. Brad is, Brad is not a tall man. <laughs> I'm perfectly average. He, he absolutely does not need. Average in China, baby. He <laughs> absolutely <laughs> does not need that extra leg room. <laughs> I am. Whereas I'm 6'1, and Morgan, you're what? 6'2. So, you know. We're, we're the ones who need the leg room, not you, Brad. Yeah, yeah that's why, exactly why I'm playing out of spite. Um, anyway, number three, other passengers. <laughs> Planes mm-hmm. are public transport. So like all public transport, they're infested with cunts who have no idea how to not be cunts. <laughs> Whether yeah. it's talking too loud, <laughs> taking the armrest when they have no fucking right, or breathe- breathing all over you, or just plain stinking like a shit-covered tank, they'll find a way, <laughs> they'll find you, and they'll be on your flight. I can't believe they weren't number one, actually. Yeah. Brad, on my on my flight home uh i was sitting next to uh someone or in front of somebody who kept like hocking up these giant oh, and spinning ugh. the whole flight now i won't say which chinese country he was from but, um, 
I was just, I was just like, oh god, there's so many of these people just spitting and everywhere. And it's just, yeah, it wasn't that's pleasant disgusting. At all. I'm trying to eat my food, and I'm just like, oh, can't eat. Put off my fucking uh, black bean. That's why your patient zero in Australia, man. So. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> number two, the food. When you're uh, halfway, nah. When you're halfway Shut over up, the Pacific, man. airlines know that they've got you by the balls. Not happy yeah. with the quality? Fuck you. Want something extra? <laughs> Fuck you again, buddy. Don't get me started on my domestic flights either. Need that ham and cheese sandwich to revive you after a week-long bender in Sydney? You better believe they're going to bend you over and fuck you like there's no tomorrow. <laughs> now, that one may have come from personal experience, but $9 for a ham and cheese sandwich that tastes like fucking cardboard after you've been on the piss all week in Sydney is just fucking ridiculous. I have there? been pleasantly surprised with uh, airline food over the last few years. You would say that, you fucking shit. I'll throw that out there. Wow. Just saying. You're an animal. (laughs) (laughs) And number one, other people spawn. Now, these little fucking shits get their own special mention. Let me just start off by saying, fuck anyone who thinks it's okay to bring a baby on a plane. I don't want to hear your fucking stop story. Stop story. If you can't leave it somewhere, don't fucking fly. Now, anyone who brings their untamed crotch goblins on a plane, fuck you too. (laughs) If they're old oh. enough to remember your family's special vacation, they're old enough to not be cunts. <laughs> All right, that's All my right. pair of Aggies. Fuck them. Get okay. right, kids. Fair enough. <laughs> that's fair enough. Um, now, before we finish up tonight, guys... I did all my research on the Hindenburg, and then I came across something which was just phenomenal. And I was like, I should have done this, but I've done way too much research on the Hindenburg to start <laughs> again. So, I'm going to give you a very, very quick rundown of uh, Miss Macau, the very first hijacking of a commercial aircraft. Oh, okay. All right. 1948. Now, the lone survivor, named Wong Yu, confessed to membership of the gang of four pirates who attempted to hack <laughs> attempting the hijacking. Uh, he met fierce resistance, uh, during which the pilot was shot, but survived by jumping out of the emergency exit just before the plane hit the oh water. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? So, they were, up there, they were up there trying to rob wealthy passengers and hold the plane for ransom. Um, <laughs> so, this is the first ever hijacking. <laughs> Everybody on board died, except one of the hijackers. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy story, Wait, right? So, he died by just, like, eyeballing it and then jumping out at the last second. <laughs> yeah, apparently. That's fucking insane. <laughs> There's yeah. no fucking way. No, it's serious. Um, it was, a, like, it was a small plane, because it's, you know, 1948, so it was a really small plane. It was like a propeller plane, right? But it was a commercial yeah. aircraft. So, it probably wasn't traveling that fast or that high anyway. But, yeah, it was 1948. Uh, 23 passengers, three crew. So, 26 people on board. 25 of them died. There were four hijackers. Three of the hijackers died. One of the hijackers survived. His name was Wong Yu. So, pretty crazy story, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, it gets even crazier. Oh, no. So, <laughs> this guy was brought to court by the Macau police. But the Macau court suggested that the prosecution should be brought in Hong Kong instead, since the plane was registered in Hong Kong and most of the passengers were from Hong Kong. However, the British colonial government in Hong Kong stated that the incident happened over Chinese territory, in which the British had no jurisdiction. 
So, of the three states, Macau, Hong Kong, and China, none of them claimed authority to try him, so Wong was released without trial from Macau and deported <laughs> to China. Wait, so you're saying they got the Wong man? <laughs> no, they got the white guy, Brad. They got the right guy. He just got away with it. Oh, just the Wong, Wong place and time. Okay, I get it. Hey, normally, you'd have all three countries clamoring to yeah. fucking put him Fuck to trial. Yeah. That's crazy. How's the luck? Oh, That's that guy went and bought a lottery ticket afterwards. He was the only survivor in a plane crash, and then three countries <laughs> refused to try him. Could you killing 23 people and getting away with it? <laughs> there was no witnesses. There was no way they were going to get a conviction. He admitted to it. Morgan just <laughs> said it. Oh, well. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> he admitted to it and he walked away. To be yeah. fair, I was just thinking about the Wong joke the entire time you were talking. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, how can I queue up this joke which <laughs> doesn't make sense? <laughs> Well, it was a double joke because I knew you guys were going to point out it wasn't the Wong guy, and then I was going to be like, "Ah, oh, so Wong time and place." It was a double uh, joke. It was fucking unreal. well. You were playing the long con. We're dragging this it. out for way too long. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you everyone so for listening, Wong, everybody. So Wong, we truly appreciate it. Uh, please come back and listen to us next week when we talk about I don't know, probably some other weird shit. Mm. Um, More air crashes. <laughs> And uh, please, again, like Morgan said at the top, share these episodes with your friends.